0: Thank you, Brother McNeil. There's a lot of truth and a lot, lots, lots of wisdom in what Brother McNeil shared this morning. I was thinking when he was talking there, if I knew that I only had uh, a minute or so left in my life and uh, my children were gathered around me and I had one thing that I needed to tell them before I passed away, um, probably the number one thing that I would tell them to, to leave something with them uh, that they could hold on to for the rest of their life would probably be choose your counselors wisely uh, because I won't be here to guide you and to help you, and you need to be very, very careful who you let influence you, uh, whose opinion that you listen to. Uh, that's, and we've got a perfect biblical example that Brother McNeil brought before us uh, of the dangers of not doing that. If you're a young person and your goal is to have a good, successful marriage, talk to the people who have good, successful marriages. I was talking to a guy one time about, you know, most of you know our girls' barrel race, and he's been doing it a long time. And, and I was talking to him about how he got to where he was, uh, how he got so knowledgeable and so good at what he does. And he says, you know, when I was young, he said, I would, I would sit in these arenas, and he said, I would just watch the best of the best, and I would study them, everything that they did, how they took care of their horses, how they worked with them here and there, and, and there's a lot of wisdom in that. He chose to, uh, to look at the people who were successful in that particular area to become successful, and uh, too often, we don't do that. We seek out the people that uh, will tell us what we want to hear, that will feed our flesh, uh, that will uh, boost up our pride, and then the end result of it is, Brother McNeil has said, is tragedy. So be humble enough to select wise counselors, even if they might tell you what you don't want to hear. Uh, do that. Uh, that would be my advice to my children if I was my dying in in my dying breath. So very, very good, McNeil. Very wise. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about one of the subjects. That uh, I have found to be the most comforting biblical topic uh, in my experiences with sharing uh, some of the truths of, of the Bible with other people. You know, you, you, there's a lot of different topics that you can talk about to other people. Uh, some of those topics might sting a little bit when you talk to them, some of those uh, topics might be very encouraging and uplifting. This topic is probably, has probably been. What I have seen bring the most comforting response from people that I've talked to, and I can, I can and, I, and I you know can agree with those people that I, I found this to be very uh, comforting. And it kind of revolves around the question: um, Are God's people always godly? Are God's people always godly? Because there's a great range of ideas out there that uh, you know, somewhat try to connect the way a person lives, the way a person believes, to uh, their eternal state. And some of those, you know, some of those different op- opinions come from, um, for example, there will be some ideas and beliefs out there that go something like this that if there was a time in your life where, uh, depending on you know, what denomination you are, if there was a particular time in your life where you made what some would call a profession of faith and you publicly said, you know, I'm a sinner and I want to follow the Lord. Uh, you know, we would call that, uh, in the Primitive Baptist Church, we would call that maybe a, a, you're, you're watching a, somebody be converted. You're watching somebody commit to discipleship. That's what we would call that. It's not, you know, it's not a, a, a transformation uh, in their eternal state. It's just simply a proclamation of discipleship. Well, you see somebody do that, and and uh, but many people will say that is the point in time when they went from, you know, a hell bound sinner to somebody that's born again and they're saved and they're going to heaven. And maybe that person lives their life in a, you know, a very obedient spiritual way up until a point, and then at that point they begin to. Uh, you know, backslide, fall away, whatever you want to call it, they start following the ways of the world. And maybe they begin to live in that lifestyle for quite some time. You will hear people say, well, what that means is they never really were saved to begin with. And I, I know people like that. Uh, I know people who have had children that followed that same path. And uh Tragically, they died while they were in that state of what we might call rebellion or backsliding. And that left a great question in the parents' minds of where is my child? Is my child in heaven? Is my child in hell? Because if they really would have meant that profession, they never would have gone down the path that they went down. Now, I don't believe that way and I don't find any comfort in believing that way. But there are a lot of people that do believe that. Now, there are also people believe that, yeah, they, maybe that person truly was genuine and truly sincere. And maybe that uh, if, they, if you were a person that believed that uh, there's a decision that has to be made to affect your eternity, I don't believe that. But if they did... And then some time goes by and they start to live in a rebellious state that God reaches down and he takes that salvation back away from you. Because the way you are living does not really line up with the decision or the profession that you made sometime in the past. Now, neither one of those things are very comforting to me. They're actually quite terrifying. It's amazing if we will just all these questions that we may generate in our minds trying to figure out what is the truth in situations it's amazing if we would just read the bible and i don't mean that sarcastically if we would just read and study the bible that the answers are there and they're very clear but you've got to do a little looking and so i want to look a little bit at a very comforting topic because the example of, like I said, the, 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 the family and loved ones of the people who maybe are in that rebellious or backsliding time of their life. You know what those folks need? They need some comfort. They need some comfort. And so I want to look at just a few things for a minute here this morning. Sometimes you'll find in, in situations like that where, where there's a backslidden person and people begin to say, well, they didn't really mean that profession or it wasn't genuine or they never really were a child of God to start with, whatever. They'll, they'll find things like this. And, uh, you know, I, there's a guy that I listen to on the radio sometimes and he's big on this verse right here and it goes back to Matthew, the seventh chapter. And they'll use verses like this that say a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A good tree, and that's in Matthew 7, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, presenting that as it is an impossibility for a good tree to ever bear bad fruit, for a born-again child of God to ever backslide or go through a rebellious stage. That's how that's presented. They'll go to things like, uh, I believe it's in First John, where it says, whosoever is born of God committeth not sin. Well, that's, if you apply it that way, my goodness, that's terrifying. Because guess what? I've got some bad fruit from time to time. I am capable. It is possible for Timothy Luke Hagler to bring forth some bad fruit. And it's the same way for you. I can bring forth bad fruit and I can commit sin. Now, those verses are a sermon for another day. But what we're talking about there is being wholly committed to it. Okay? So let's look at just a few passages in the Bible to try to answer the question, are God's people always godly? Because I'll go ahead and tell you the end result of it, in case you start drifting and fading from me, is God's people are not always godly. They're not. Okay, And so the Primitive Baptists have been accused before of believing that Primitive Baptists are the only people going to heaven. That could not be any further from the truth. We do not believe that. As a matter of fact, you will find there is not a more inclusive denomination on the face of the earth when it comes to people going into heaven than the primitive Baptists. And let me give you a little quick explanation of that. If I line 100 people up here and 90 of those 100 people, fit every condition that every denomination on the face of this earth says you've got to meet in order to become a born-again, redeemed, blood-bought child of God. Everybody would agree that 90 out of those 100 have met those conditions. But there's 10 over here that have not met them. The primitive Baptists are the only ones that I know of that will go over here into those other 10 and say, no. They're not all hell bound because the grace of God is bigger than those conditions. You understand? So the primitive Baptists are the most inclusive denomination that I know of. And I want to show you that this morning in the Bible. And 2 Peter is where I want to start. 2 Peter, the first chapter. And again, if we'll just let the Bible say what it says, we don't have to scratch our heads about some of these things. 2 Peter, the first chapter. I'm going to start reading in verse three and I'm going fast for the sake of time. According as his divine power hath given us unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Notice the list. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, okay? Because the faith is one of the precious promises, the great gift and promise of faith that God gave us when we were born again. You need to add some things to that. You need to add to that virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness. Don't miss that one. And to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Yes. Notice this. But he that lacketh these things, what things, faith, knowledge, virtue, all those things we just mentioned, godliness, he that lacketh godliness. Let me let me substitute that. He that lacketh godliness is blind and cannot see afar off and notice this and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We are dealing with a person that has been purged from his sin, okay? You can say that however you want to. What that says to me, this is a blood-bought child of God that at one point in their life had faith, virtue, temperance, knowledge, and all those things, but they got to a point in their life that they lost those things. They didn't lose faith. They lost the evidence of it, but they were no longer walking in the light. They had it. They lost it. They didn't lose their salvation because he says, you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. You are my blood-bought, redeemed child of God. But now you've gotten to the point where you're barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You lack these things now and you cannot see afar off. That's another way of saying they're unwise. That's wisdom, being able to see afar off. And you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. This is all I want out of that. It's a blood bought child of God that is no longer walking in the way and the light that they used to walk. It is a rebellious, backslidden child of God. Now, notice this. I'm going to flip over here real quick to 2 Thessalonians. This is what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14. It says, And if any man obeyed not our word, who are we dealing with? A disobedient man. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. All right, let's go back to McNeil for just a second. You don't think it matters whose opinion you listen to and whose company you keep? Paul says here, if there's a man over here that is not walking in obedience, you need to stay away from him. That doesn't mean you don't love him. That doesn't mean you're not there for him. That does not mean that you don't give him some sort of uh, loving grace when you can, but you are not to be tied to his hip. But notice what he says. We say, well, brother Luke, you're talking about somebody that's not a child of God and somebody that is a child of God. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, note that man Have no company with him that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You get that? He's saying that is your brother over there, but now he'll drag you down into the depths of despair of this world if you connect yourself to him too much. But you admonish him as a brother. Now, Paul doesn't say that about everybody. Paul, throughout the Bible, he says... I am praying that we are delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. You see, Paul doesn't go out there saying, oh, brother, 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 backslidden brother, backslidden brother. He says, those, some of those are wicked men. Stay away from them and have nothing to do with them. But this case is not that case. This case is saying there's a brother that is backslidden, like the guy that we found in 2 Peter, the first chapter, be very careful in in how you are dealing with them, but you don't look at him as an enemy. You look at him as a brother. Now, let me give you the one that I really wanted to get to, and I hope I'm not going too fast for this. Let's go to Romans, the 11th chapter. Now, if I hadn't convinced you yet, if this doesn't convince you that God's people are not always godly, I can't help you. I'm doing the best I can do with it. Romans, the 11th chapter, verse 28. Verse 28. I'm going to wait till pages quit flipping because you got to get this one. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Y'all with me? There are a people that Paul describes here that are enemies of the gospel and Paul says they may be enemies in your efforts and oppose you as you spread the truth of the gospel but in the eyes of the father they're beloved because his electing power is bigger than our response to the gospel because there are people that will say your response to the gospel is what qualifies whether you truly are a child of God a child of God or not this says that's hogwash Because there are people out there that will be resistant to the truth of the gospel. But yet beloved for the sake of the father's election. Look, I don't need anything else. Why is that comforting? Why is that comforting to me? Because I may end up as that backslidden person one day. Yes, I've tasted the light. I've walked in the light. My goodness, I stood in the pulpit and preached about the light. But I never underestimate the power of my flesh and I could be that person one day. I could. You could. My family could. Any of us could. Now, let me pause that and go to the next verse. It says, as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Repentance is a turning, a changing, a, a moving away in a different direction. Now, don't misunderstand. Some of the gifts of God are absolutely, would absolutely fall within the category of God repenting from them, meaning he turns away from them. We're not talking about the gift of God's protective hand here. Because God can repent of that. God, God, the display that God put forth when He brought Israel out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness, parting seas, leading by clouds of fire—that is a protective hand. When He went into, uh, they went into battle into the promised land, and I mean, my goodness, you've got huge fortified cities with walls falling down without the first bit of dynamite or any explosive device. They just marched around it and shout, and the power of God brought them down. That is a gift. But Israel rebelled against God and he took away that gift. He repented and turned away from providentially blessing them with his protective hand. And time after time, he handed them over into the hands of their enemies. That's a gift he'll take away from you. What about King Saul? God gave King Saul the gift of leading his people. That's a pretty good gift. That's a blessing to be able to, to be the man that led God's people in this life. But you know, God took that away from him. God took that gift away from him because he disobeyed him. What about Moses? My goodness, he put Moses in a wonderful leadership position over his people and brought out hundreds of thousands out of Egypt. He was the one that raised his staff and, 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 the, and, the, and the Red Sea parted. He was the one that sang the song of deliverance when they got on the other side of the Red Sea. He did all of these things. He he, he was there when the manna was brought down from heaven, but he smote the rock when God told him to speak to it. And as a result of that, he stood and never got to go into the promised land. You see, that was a gift God took away from him. What about Adam? Adam was an, an immortal man. What a wonderful gift of immortality, but God took that away from him. Because he disobeyed him. You know, I believe there are preachers that have walked in the light, tasted the light, probably have preached some of the greatest sermons on the face of the earth. God has used them to stir God's people and strengthen them and encourage them and help them to walk through this life with more light than they had. That's a gift. But you know, I believe God's taken that away from men. You think about, there's a man named Demas in the Bible. You read about him twice. The first time you read about him, Paul is uh, lifting him up as being his great helper in the ministry. The second time you read about him, Paul says Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know the verse in the Bible where it says, "Many are called, few are chosen." You know what that's talking about? Many are called to remain in the or to are called into the service of God. But there are few that are chosen to stay in it. You get it? It is a gift to serve the Lord. But brothers and sisters, if we don't walk in obedience, God will take that fire and that desire to serve the Lord from us and be like Demas having loved the Lord. And it comes to a point in his life where he falls in love with the world and he forsakes Paul and he goes that way. And I wonder if Demas ever had another spiritual high in his life. The gifts and calling of God are with repentance. He will take those things away from us, but concerning the eternal state and the election of God's people, that is without repentance. Amen. It will never, ever, ever be taken away from God's people. Let me give you this: 2 Timothy. Second Timothy, the second chapter. Notice this. It says, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. That's my point. Well, godly are godly people always godly. Shun those things, they will increase unto more ungodliness, ungodliness. for their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is passed already and overthrew the faith of some. This is this is these are two people concerning the gospel are enemies against Paul. But their beloved for the father's sake because of election. Because he says this, who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is passed already and overthrow the faith of some, nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his and let every one that nameth the name of Christ apart from, from iniquity. It is comforting for me to know that le- that us going astray cannot outdo the grace of God. Amen. Now, John the 6th chapter and verse, I'm going quick here. John the 6th chapter, verse 39. Let me read you this one. This is is Jesus speaking, and this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he hath given me that I should lose nothing. Does anybody here have the slightest notion that Jesus Christ failed in anything he ever did? It says, this is the will of the Father which sent me that I should lose nothing. I don't think he failed in that. The foundation of God stand assured the Lord knows them that are His. We in our discipleship, yes, we can lose some of the blessings and gifts of God, but you will never lose the eternal welfare that the Lord has given His people because it is not built on the foundation of our works. It is not built on the foundation of our devotion. It is not built on the foundation of our decision or our walk. It is built on the foundation of a sure covenant that God the Father made with His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is sure and it is finished and it is accepted in the Father. That is a salvation that is without repentance. Now, let me close with this right here. You may know somebody that at one point in their life walked in the light. They made a profession that the Lord Jesus Christ was their Savior. Whether we believe, whether that person believes that was when they were transformed from darkness, whatever. I don't believe that. I believe that's just a profession of discipleship. But all I want you to take out of that is we may know people who have done that, but there's no evidence of it right now. As a matter of fact, they may be antagonistic to everything they used to stand for. I don't want you to walk away from here if there are people like that in your lives with a feeling of despair. I want you to walk out of here with a feeling of comfort. Because Paul said, concerning the gospel, they may be enemies. But concerning election, they're beloved. Now that's comforting to me. You know what that does for me? That lets me go to these other ten people that every other denomination left out and said, well, y'all can just burn in hell. And I said, no, because they're beloved. Some of these are beloved for the Father's sake. When we were kids, our neighbor had a humongous apple tree. And Josh would go over there and steal apples off of it. <laughs> I'm kidding. He didn't steal them. They let him go get them. And every time you saw Josh, I, I felt like in my mind he had a hat full of apples. Now Josh has been at the neighbors again. Oh, I mean, when it was season, they just had tons of apples. That's kind of like some of God's people. A lot of fruit, easy to see. I planted some apple trees and they don't look like that (laughs) they might give you a little fruit not as easy to see i've planted some apple trees that have yet to produce an apple don't see any fruit on them but that doesn't change the fact that they're apple trees does not change their identity it just makes it harder to tell it i've also seen apple trees that might produce great a great number of fruit And some years later, they stop bearing fruit altogether. But that don't mean they're not an apple tree. You understand? Their identity doesn't change just because they quit bearing fruit. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. As touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God concerning our eternal salvation are without repentance. He never takes that from us because it didn't depend on us to start with. I hope that that's been profitable for you.